welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor of Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with Ben Turner. Ever since he fell in love with Ibiza in 1993, the dance music empresario has worked tirelessly to promote and document the island. He did this first as a journalist for Melody Maker, and later as a magazine editor, businessman, filmmaker, artist manager, and promoter. Most recently, he co-founded International Music Summit, an industry-led conference that sought to bring a professionalism to the scene that, in Turner's words, was at rock bottom in 2007. Despite his undying love for Ibiza, Turner is also honest and realistic about its future. When he visited our Berlin office for a chat with RA's Ibiza correspondent Carlos Hawthorne, he spoke openly about some of the tough issues affecting the White Isle in 2018. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at RA-Exchange. The exchange with Ben Turner is up next. What brings you to Berlin? Um, I came for a series of meetings for the next couple of days. Um, popped into Berghain for a couple of hours on Saturday morning, Sunday morning, to see Benjamin Damage play live, which was really, really great. And uh, yeah, it was kind of strange to go there at that early these days. 3 a.m. seems quite early, but um, but still, still good to see the place on fire. When was the last time you were there? It was about about two and a half years ago, actually. Yeah. Do you feel the same? Um, yeah, I could see the audiences pouring in as I left at 5am when most people were coming, um, getting quite sort of fashion-y down there, certain sort of fashion trends and styles, but but still amazing, still nowhere like it in the world. Kept looking up at the architecture and the and just the rawness of it all, just kind of still in awe of it, really. So great to see that it hasn't really changed. What was your first experience there? Gosh, I think the first time I went there was with probably Richie about seven or eight years ago and that that first visit led to you know coming back to Berlin every couple of weeks and or every certainly six weeks to go there and just um yeah just being in Panorama Bar probably more in the earlier days and just the 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 mid-afternoon madness of the fluttering of the the shutters and and actually hearing not just new music but hearing classics and just that really eclectic mix um you know, funnily enough, I was thinking today about my earlier Ibiza experiences and actually hearing Altered States by Ron Trent in Panorama Bar was a real moment, which actually links me back to my best ever first Ibiza memory. So, um, yeah, it was triggering a lot of thoughts. But What was that, the Ibiza memory? Well, I was trying to think about when, you know, what, why, I, why I fell in love with Ibiza so much. You know, it was a long time ago. It was 1992 when I first went there. I was 16, 17 years old and I was very deep in my Detroit, Chicago obsession, learning, going deeper and deeper into that music and buying that music. And and in my very, very formative early years as a journalist, I went to Ibiza and, and um, you know, I was actually really dismayed by the how bad the music was in the clubs in Ibiza back then, um, much as I was like impressed by what Pasha looked like and the rawness of space at the time, the music was terrible, you know, and if you were a fan of Detroit techno and Chicago house, there really wasn't much there for you. Um, so the two bits that, that really I remember were one, the music of Café Del Mar and Phil Meissen, more so than Jose Padilla, and just this really beautiful, emotional electronic music, um, which at the time was as much from Holland as it was from Detroit. But that was really, really inspiring. And you would begin your evening with this sort of five hour, quite overwhelming sonic experience of the sun setting and hearing this beautiful electronic music, but very down tempo, not club music. And then you'd be like, well, where do we go now? The clubs are terrible. <laughs> um, and then one Sunday, on a, I was on a 14 day holiday, which I paid for myself. It wasn't a journalist trip. I saw that Darren Emerson from Underworld was playing at Space. And it was like the only lineup that stood out for me on any of the posters on the streets. 
and uh, I managed to get into the club and he played at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And um, yeah, I just remember being, he always laughs about it because he I, I knew him just vaguely at the time, but he looked up in the middle of his set and there was me on the top of a speaker stack. And I just remember Ron Trent, Altered States, Robert Armani, Circus Bells, Hard Trance Experience all mixed together in this 25 minute moment, which still to this day was one of my greatest clubbing moments. So um, that was kind of like my first moment of, of actually understanding that great at that time underground music sounded amazing in Ibiza. So why wasn't there more of it? And at that time, I remember about a year later, Richie Horton doing his first Ibiza show. And that was that didn't go well. I remember he had to stop playing. Um, I wasn't there. I was in my office at Melody Maker at the time. I was a journalist, music journalist. And I remember Seth Hodder from Nova Mute texting me or, or speaking on the phone later. I don't know if I had a mobile phone back then. Um, just saying, you won't believe it, Richie had to stop playing. And... and um, so, you know, there were these, and the Chemical Brothers had a similar experience. Um, so, you know, anything that wasn't typical at that time, shiny house music, kind of had a tough time out there. I know you said before that it kind of wasn't until Sven started Cocoon and Circo Loco started in the same year that that became a, a norm, like a standard. It, I guess even between 92 and 99, it was still kind of patchy, like there would be parties here and there, but nothing every yeah. week yeah there was nothing nothing on a kind of residency level uh, in the way that Cocoon or, or, or a venue like DC10 kind of DC10 was kind of before Circa Loco in a way in my memory of understanding the brand if you like but yeah I mean I guess you know I guess the only other person who was playing there at the time was was Carl Cox you know who was playing this residency at Cream and that was kind of a bit weird because they'd be having like Paul Van Dyke and people like that and then Carl would play and I guess Carl's always managed to sort of somehow fit between quite mainstream and, and techno. And um, But he was like the only person playing anything challenging. I actually was trying to think the other day where Sven played before he did Cocoon and I can't actually recall what he was doing. But it, but yeah, there was, there was very little. Um, and at that time I was a journalist and I was documenting the island. But actually looking back on it, I was really, like I just said earlier, I was much more sort of inspired by the sunset vibe because there people were actually being much more experimental than most of the DJs in the clubs. You know? So, I mean, if it wasn't the music, what was it that was pulling you back year on year? Well, I think, you know, that, that, again, that comes back to the magneticism of Ibiza and that special feeling that the island does still give you. Um, and, you know, those sunset moments were, were you know, I, I still to this day, wherever I am in the world, sunset and beautiful music kind of moves you inside more than anything else and and it really was that you know I did obviously have a responsibility then as a journalist to to kind of document what was going on there because in the UK in the mid 90s you know there was this huge explosion of of British nightclubs or British club brands coming into Ibiza it wasn't particularly embraced by a lot of people on the island there was this very strong friction between the Spanish and the English and this feeling that the British club promoters were kicking out the local guys and the, and the, the you know, I, th I think there's a responsibility for brands coming in to support the local artists and most of the British club brands were not doing that. They were coming in, they were kicking out the residents, they just wanted their people to play even from the first song right through to the last track and um, people like Alfredo and Cesar de Malero and uh, Pippi, all these kind of legends of Ibiza at the time, got very bitter. And um, and actually, to be fair, the club owners could have done a lot more to to insist that these guys were, were looked after. But that was kind of the beginning of the disappearance of some of those people who really did understand the Balearic spirit of Ibiza and actually... I think their their role in creating this really well-balanced musical spirit that was in Ibiza in the late 80s, um, in a way, I would say, the kind of British clubs came in and partly destroyed that, you know. So, yeah, I mean, we're in March now. Another Ibiza season is about a couple of months away. I mean, where are you in your kind of preparation stage? Well, I guess the Ibiza for me in 2018 is is mostly about IMS and International Music Summit. Again, I was thinking back to all the different things I've done in my evolution in the industry. You know, I began as a music journalist. I then launched my own magazine, Music, and you know, I then um, launched the Pasha magazine. So I, I was the founder and editor of that for 10 years. 
and then I launched IMS and it was that point I quit those kind of things and and you know I really felt Ibiza needed um well I saw an opportunity for Ibiza to have a kind of industry focused uh, platform to debate what was going on in the industry around the world and help shape the industry's direction and um we're now 11 years in and you know most of it's funny most of my Ibiza work begins at the end of May and ends at the end of May but the conference has quite a you know we feel has a good impact on on what happens um around the world and and um yeah so we're we're deep in the planning of of IMS this year um we've actually launched a a a new addition to IMS so IMS is very much a industry-based series of panels debates keynotes lectures um RA have been very very involved over the years and this year actually partly inspired by a story that RA wrote we've launched a wellness conference called Remedy State which is a three-day retreat aimed at people in the music industry and artists industry people and really just trying to um give people the opportunity to stop pause and really think about what this industry is doing to us on a on a health level on a mental level on a physical level you know i'm i'm now 44 years old and i've been doing this since i was 16 17 and i still have the same passion for my job as i as i did back then at this age i've got to be careful i have to look after myself i have to think twice and i want to still be part of this culture and help shape this culture but you know i've been on a 2 year discovery period of my own body and mind and understanding how late nights jet lag travel stress of working in this business how it impacts on me so i really wanted to share that and the ra article was was probably one of the best ones that's been written about this issue so we've turned that into a 3 day uh wellness retreat and um you know i hope and certainly from the response we've had people are really curious and people are really going wow it's actually cool to talk about this stuff whereas you know when we were first doing IMS in Ibiza our obsession was more you know taking DJ magazine to task over the state of their top 100 now we're talking about health versus hedonism and it just shows how the industry is maturing was there a a moment that that sparked this kind of um two year period of self discovery partly a uh, personal health issue that i had which turned into kind of nothing but it set me on this voyage of discovery and um actually I'll be honest um two of the artists that I that I'm around have really helped me a lot one was going to a um ayurvedic clinic the the famous clinic that supposedly Sven goes to and flushes out his blood every year which is a complete myth um but the but the places was an inspiration and an eye opener to me and so that was part of the process and then um somebody else I work with advised me about a a nutritionist and and that has been a complete eye opener because you know I've been traveling the world for 25 years I don't cook at home I do now but I didn't and um you may think you're eating in great restaurants and all of these places but nobody's taking care of your health in those places. So I I think it was a a real coming together of many things and I think society around us I think you know what I what I love about part of the reason why I wanted to do this remedy state concept was not just to service people like me in their 40s and beyond but I think in the much younger generation in the early 20s there's a very conscious mindset of people in the industry so it's coming together of the older crew wanting to stay young and the younger crew just being much more responsible they're a lot less hedonistic I think than than maybe we were back in the day so I think there's a beautiful coming together and um and I think a real desire for people to you know understand more about how to live this industry in a more conscious healthy way. Yeah, I think it's important to, you know, you can view dance music in a different way and it doesn't have to be about going wild and getting off your head like it can be enjoyed alongside yoga or alongside health yeah. and fitness. Part of actually looking back to what IMS was was meant to stand for was partly because we were so deeply wrapped into some of the Ibiza politics and dealing with the government and the council and all of these things. and we really wanted to prove to the Ibiza government this is 11 years ago that electronic music was a grown up industry it was a mature industry there was a business value you know the industry had a value which at the time nobody had ever put a finger on the value of that or created a number for it 
and showing to the Ibiza authorities that, you know, this industry can interface with the CEOs of Apple, with film directors like David Lynch, like all these people we've brought into IMS to show them that this is a real industry and a real business and not just a hedonistic nightlife scenario. So when I look back to the ideals, one of the reasons we launched IMS, it, it again reminds me of something I guess I've been fighting for in the you know 25 years in my early years as a journalist at the guardian newspaper i was i was like one of the youngest ever writers at the guardian promoting electronic albums at the time early 90s and again that was me trying to prove to editors of these publications that this is real music this is like this is as valuable as in their eyes the oasis album the underworld album is far more important to a younger generation than that and and um and part of that was also getting over this sort of stigma that this is drug music this is only enjoyed under the influence of alcohol and drugs and i think we've been all been all as an industry have been trying to dispel that for many many years so Remedy State seems very grown up and maybe doesn't seem quite in the spirit of Acid House back in 1988 but I actually think it's it's very relevant. This year's IMS has another uh, big theme which is sexual harassment. One, how did you arrive at, at that one? Yeah I think partly inspired by an organisation called She Said So. Uh, I went to hear one of their talks in Los Angeles about two, two and a half years ago, which wasn't just women, it was men and women. She said so as a platform for women in the entertainment industry. They have 6,000 members and they kind of have their own dialogue going on privately, but they also have very public dialogues. And kind of talking to Andrea, the founder of that, I've been very proactive with IMS helping to give her voice um, or bring her voice into the electronic music industry. And she has very strong principles, very strong ideals. Um, one of them is about gender gender parity, which I'm, I'm behind and support. And then that kind of leads a little bit into, I guess, what's been happening in the world around us where in the entertainment industry, sexual harassment is being called out in obviously in film with Harvey Weinstein, but in politics, in any form of public life. And why would DJ culture be any different? You know, we're operating in an industry that lives 24 hours a day, is surrounded by vices of many, many kinds, and things lead to other things. And unfortunately, you know, our industry, whether we like it or not, is awash with issues of sexual harassment, has been and continues to be. And... I think it's really important that we kind of put this discussion on the table or on the on the IMS floor to really try to get under the skin of, of why this is happening and more to the point, how can we stop it happening? You know, a few things have come out actually in the last 10 days about certain artists, more the EDM guys and some of their behaviours and practices. Um, it's not an electronic music industry issue, it's a cultural issue. And uh, I just think we all have a responsibility to address it and, um, you know, I'm, I'm pleased to see that Honey Dijon, um, Stephen Brains, who manages Maya Jane Coles, um, I think Peggy Goo, these people are willing to, to stand up and talk about this stuff very publicly. So um, it's, gonna, it's a kind of raw and sensitive topic, but I'm, I'm really happy we're having it. You mentioned a term there, gender parity. Can you just explain what that is? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when I look at my industry and or our industry, it still shocks me how the kind of leaders of this industry are so extremely male dominated. Historically, the DJs were very, very male dominated. And I think there's a direct reflection back of that because people look to the artists and naturally look at artists. And that often inspires people to come into the industry. And if they're all men DJing at the front of these clubs and festivals, that's going to have a, ref a negative reflection, I think, on, on bringing females confidence into our industry um so gender parity gets talked about in many industries about trying to create a 50 50 balance of men and women who may be you know caa one of the big artist agencies are are committing to have their senior board members 50 50 by the end of 2020 it's quite a big commitment for a company like that and i think in music when i look at our industry I think two things are happening that are extremely positive. One, the number of female artists coming through, particularly in techno and underground music is 
incredible and like we can't even keep up with the level of extremely proficient talent that is dominating the techno world at the moment which is incredible and unforeseeable 20 years ago so that's great um but i think you know one of my key areas and one of the key things i spend my time on is uh, i created an organization called afem the association for electronic music which is a a sort of working group of 200 members ranging from managers agents uh, record labels publishers who talk and meet and action and lobby to help protect our industry and with afem when i when i when i went to the first 50 people to create the board of afem five years ago when i look back on it now i'm kind of almost ashamed at how male dominated that was but if i was launching it again today a i can a, I would get that gender balance as close to 50-50 as felt comfortable in terms of making sure everybody is the, the right kind of person. But I would also be find it much easier now because there are so many more women in our industry and certainly in the electronic industry. Um, I feel like that balance is becoming more, more, more balanced. I don't necessarily agree with festivals and clubs committing to 50-50 on their lineups because I think that's very, very difficult to achieve. But I do think curators and bookers and promoters, you know, doing their bit to make sure that they open up the channels and the opportunities for male, men and women is extremely important. Yeah, you mentioned the 50-50 thing there. I know a bunch of festivals, including Mutech in Canada, um, did commit to having 50-50 lineups, I think, maybe five, ten years in the future. Over time, yeah. um, do you think that's something in the future that we should aim for? I think it's. I think it's very hard for the promoters and the events. You know, I. You know, I'm involved in the Best of All Festival, and I curate Dolt Villa at IMS. Um, and it's. It is difficult with availabilities, with you know schedules to just book your lineup 100% based on a 50/50 lineup. So I think it's very hard to do that, and I don't believe in people making commitments they can't live up to so you have to be very careful and I think we have to be very careful as an industry to not go too far I think it's about making a huge progression from where we are to where we need to get to um, I've been asked to to commit to 50 50 uh, commitments on talent lineups with things I'm involved in and I will say it's extremely hard to deliver um, so I think it's great that people are saying they can do it but nobody should be making claims they can't live up to so you mentioned there when you started IMS, um, which was in 2007, you described electronic music as being at rock bottom. I mean, what, did, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you look at where we were then to kind of what's happened in those 10 years, um, you know, and not all of it good, but there has obviously been a huge explosion of, of, of interest in electronic music from the underground through to the extreme mainstream. And, um, you know, I remember in that first IMS, we had 150 delegates and a lot of the topics were, were doom and gloom and negativity. And I remember there was one A&R guy from uh, a major record label sat in the room and he actually stood up on day three and said, shall I just leave the room? Because I'm clearly not wanted in this industry. And um, three years later, that guy had five top 10 American hits with electronic more mainstream artists just shows you how quickly it exploded when you look back on it in terms of the underground side of things i think everyone has benefited from this global interest in the music but we're now um we've almost gone full circle again now where the media interest has kind of moved on to the next focus and yeah i, I just think back then part of why i wanted to launch ims was i was an industry person who felt frustrated at where we were heading um i think musically after the millennium things got a little bit stale as well um so it was a combination of the industry suffering but also musically people feeling a little bit less inspired and i just wanted to bring like-minded brains into a room to talk about it and to try to you know think collectively about how to help get the industry back on track because we'd seen this huge explosion in the late eight, late 90s you know there was the, in the uk especially club culture was huge um underground culture was 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 strong as well um and then the millennium there was this huge downturn a huge explosion lots of people went out of business because of the expectations of new year's eve in 1999 and a lot of people 
you know, overextended themselves, lost, you know, in some cases millions of dollars and pounds by putting on events. And and it was just this kind of perfect storm of, of a lot of things going against this industry. And, you know, now looking at it now with 30 years experience, I guess you've we've seen three waves in that 10 years. So obviously things are very cyclical. But one thing's a constant is the, I guess, the RA world that you guys, you know, love and enjoy and the world that I love and enjoy is, you know, always managed to keep itself in a pretty positive place. And by the no compromise rule, um, I think it's re remains robust and progressively exciting, you know. Um, you mentioned one of the challenges um, in 2007 when you launched IMS was um, convincing the local Ibiza government that electronic music was a serious thing. This is a serious industry worth a lot of money. And where do you think they are now, like from your perspective? Um, probably in exactly the same place. <laughs> probably one of my biggest frustrations is when I look at ADE and I look at the huge support they get from the government and from Boomer Stemra. Well, I think that may have just ended, but they've had a good run at it. Um, and, and Sonar as well. The contribution that Barcelona give to Sonar to help make these events viable. I do get frustrated at, at how the Ibiza government view our industry. Um, I think it's... I think we were making progress, but there's so many changes continually on the island and different mindsets of people who come in. And Ibiza's biggest problem is they've never, ever accepted that club tourism is positive tourism. They still like to see it as this negative thing that they'd rather not have to deal with. And I just think it's a little bit, um, a little bit unfair. So we do work hard. We, you know, we we do an event at Dolt Villa, which is a consumer-facing event. So a lot of your, a lot of your readers come there, and it's a, an incredible event. It's you know one of my favourite events on the island. It's in a castle in a World Heritage site, and we're the only event that promotes up there. And we thank the government hugely for that. And that is their contribution to IMS. Is they give us this amazing space. It's only allowed to be used once a year, and the lineup, you know, is, is very much in the underground space. So we're very thankful for that, but I think it would be helpful to us if it went much further. You know, running a music conference is a labour of love. We're not we're not making money out of this thing. It's everything goes back into it, and we we've launched IMS in Asia, in the US, in and we have IMS College now, which is about encouraging the next generation into the industry. And it really is a bit of a labour of love, as simple as that. That extra support you can get from cultural funding and and government funding can make your events make or break really um make or break them so so there's a little bit of disappointment but um you know and abita is actually going through a huge transition itself now where clubbing tourism is actually significantly down tourism is massively up the island is busier than it's ever been but it's never been busier with families mums and dads with their kids a lot of those are probably ex ex ravers but um there's a big shift there so um in a way, I think right now the government have probably got the island exactly where they want it. I was going to say, do you think they're interested in a maybe a wealthier clientele who aren't going to cause as much damage, who aren't going to make as much noise, who spend a lot more money and just, you know, bring the, the value without the disruption? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, the whole island has shifted that way. And I guess the whole world has shifted away in a, in a sense like that. People's expectations of travel, leisure, nightlife... Uh, food, restaurants has changed. People expect better everything. And that, that does have a negative effect on culture and creativity. And I think, yeah, Beath has been heading that way since the kind of early 2000s. You know, when when this, you know, I really pinpoint this this fascination with Ibiza from Puff Daddy and Paris Hilton and people like that as the kind of the beginning of the start of the rot setting in, in a, in a little way. You know, they brought fame and they brought money to the island, but, you know, that, that then led to boats coming from Saint-Tropez and, you know, all these people who used to go to Saint-Tropez, they didn't care what music they were listening to. It was popping champagnes and listening to top 40, top 40 club hits. And suddenly they're being put into clubs like Space. You know, I actually remember one of the scariest moments, but actually one of the funnest moments when I look back on it was when I think Puff Daddy played with Felix de Housecat in Space. And it was like 7am and I hate to say I was in the DJ booth because I was in the DJ booth, but suddenly like bottles started flying at the DJ booth, glass bottles were being thrown at the decks 
and suddenly security came in and pulled Puff Diddy and his crew out of the booth and Felix was left like ducking under the, the, the glass frontage of the DJ booth and it just showed this kind of I actually thought well, good on these people <laughs> like the revolt of people going we don't we don't need this we don't want this but I think the it, the, t- the tidal wave of celebrity that came to Ibiza and there was always celebrity in Ibiza there was always Freddie Mercury and all these kinds of people hanging around and the misfits and the the bohemian crowd but it kind of has overtaken our clubs in a way and the, and the VIP culture that's also followed that. There's a lot of negativity. I think, you know, I will speak very positively, I hope, about where Ibiza is at at the moment. But unfortunately, I think you're probably right. The government officials like this kind of attention and and obviously like the money that's coming in to the hotels and to the and to the economic value of Ibiza, you know. Yeah, you have always been incredibly positive about Ibiza. I mean, what are the positives in 2018? I probably think too much. Uh, over the years, you know, I've spent huge amounts of times there. If I'm honest, right now, I'm there a lot less than, than I used to be, partly because I live in the US a lot as well. I don't know. I think it's it's changed. I think it's still a very important breeding ground for certain types of music careers. But I think, you know, underground music has suffered in the last couple of years because of this change of change of audience. On a, on a positive level for the rest of Europe, you know, obviously Croatia's doing extremely well, you know, new festivals like Oasis in Marrakesh and BPM in Portugal. And there's a lot of other, other warm destinations where you can enjoy music outdoors by the ocean. And I think that's, that's important to people. So I think there's still great stuff happening on the island. Circa Loco remains this huge dominant force in Ibiza with great lineups and, you know, always trying to bring through new talent I think one of the things that that we that, that I look a lot at is the there is a whole new growth of the art community there and Ibiza was always about music art fashion all being kind of mixed together and this kind of crazy mixture and there is a there is a whole new art scene developing there which is quite interesting and places like Hangar these kind of warehouse spaces that are bringing through artistic endeavors and and you know throwing events in kind of alternative venues that's starting to happen again and I think it's a reaction against some of the kind of super club dominance but you know I think um, I definitely think it's 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 in a kind of period of soul searching at the moment I think Ibiza's really trying to figure out where it is going you know there's been new venues that have opened which have been welcomed because they're state of the art from a technology point of view um, but there's a tendency that anything new on that island gets built has to cater to the VIPs so you're seeing venues now that kind of venues you might see in Las Vegas that you never ever thought you'd see in Ibiza so you know there's a bit of you know Vegas copying Ibiza and then now actually Ibiza sadly looking to Vegas to kind of deliver the service that VIP people want and that is a big concern. I mean do you think that um, this kind of quieter period for club scene dance floors being more empty do you think that could ultimately have a more positive effect these club owners will have to rethink their strategies they'll have to maybe new venues will be allowed to open up like it could yeah i think um you know the the old guard of ibiza clubs have until quite recently still been run by in some cases the founders and you know but pasha is now sold to an american company amnesia still remains in the hands of the ferrer family but you know there's going to be a changing of the guard these these it's happening now and as these guys get to you know their mid 70s in some some of the venues they're going to step away as as we saw with space the the matutes involvement and the people behind ushuaia and high are extremely good operators um and they do have an interest in the underground side of things but I still think there's space on the island for, you know, somebody to come through with something really um, more alternative, a bit more focused on experimental music, which I think is what Hangar is trying to do and places like that. But yeah, I think um, I think the changing of the guard could be positive. Um, but, you know, there's also there's also concerns that, you know, certain venues like Pasha ends up in the hands of corporate American ownership and and where does that leave the kind of you know the the concern for the the, the sort of um, n- nurturing of underground music in Ibiza? I mean that that is going to be a concern. And of course, the big story this summer is that Cocoon is moved to Pasha. What are your thoughts? We were kind of shocked. I think everyone was was shocked to see it, but in a way, I think you know Amnesia has been having 
all sorts of things going on behind the scenes very publicly. They've been in that venue a long time. And I think there comes a point when, you know, your patience level through politics, you know, means you just need to move on. So I think it's partly that is one thing. Um, but I also think they probably needed to inject a fresh kind of story around what they're doing. I think coming off Mondays against Circa Loco is probably a good thing for the island because, you know, 10 years ago, people would go to Circa Loco at 5pm, leave at 2am, go to Cocoon, and that was the kind of rhythm. And they would at that time stop in to a couple of places in the middle. And now that's not really happening. Um, so I think moving to Wednesday could be could be a really, really good move. Um, Pasha obviously is a eye opener to a lot of people. Sounds like the lineups they're getting, they're getting, they're getting their crew there. But in a way, if you know Sven, you know when I look back on who were the DJs that really helped shape Ibiza, Sven was there before anybody, apart from the residents. You know the the story of the three British guys that came and took Ibiza to English culture is one thing, but Sven was sleeping on the streets in Ibiza in 1981. He was seeing the opportunity and the passion for that place before anybody, and and I think you still see that in him today. And if you think about it, Pasha was there in 1973. Pasha was there when he was, you know, on the island back in the day. So it's all, he's always been around that scene. You know, there's no, you can't deny the fact that Sven likes a bit of celebrity culture around him. You know, when I first went to Cocoon year one, the Sultan of Brunei was in the VIP and he was handing bottles of champagne down to, to the people in the VIPs. He was, he was embracing that. So I think Pasha... I think Pasha is changing. I hear the sound system is changing. The DJ booth's changing again. That They are investing in the club. So if he was ever going to move there, I think he's potentially gone at an interesting time. Um, and I think if, you, if you're him and you've been on that island for so long, he must be looking at this going, okay, well, this is my home, hopefully for the next decade. And, and maybe that's it, you know. That's the thing. I think, um, you know, among certain fans and big fans of Cocoon, they were like, this was a perfect opportunity to stop it. 18, 19 years, you know, you've created one of the greatest parties in the history of the of the culture. Why not just stop it there? But I guess he doesn't want to. No. Sven still wants to play. He still has it in him. Yeah. The Cocoon still has a huge following. Yeah, I think he still has the passion for it. He still has the energy for it. He's he's built a brand. I think I think in, in careers, artist careers, there are... There are kinds of there are people who stick at one thing and that's what they do and they do it for their whole life and there are other people who always want to create new new concepts and and some people would have stopped it but I think for Sven if you know him he wears his heart on his sleeve and and cocoon is in his blood and and um, they don't feel they're done you know him and Johannes who are a formidable force together they live and breathe Ibiza and they know you know I think people should trust their judgment that they can create an incredible event in that place. And, you know, I've heard underground music in Pasha many times and it can work, you know, it, it can work. You know, the the big challenge with Pasha is the, what's happened historically is when somebody's played too tough or the music's not been appreciated by the VIPs, somebody has gone and tapped the DJ on the shoulder and historically taken them off the decks. Hasn't happened for about 10 years. But that happened to a lot of people. And I think now there is an understanding, and this is the positive for Ibiza, is there is an understanding in all these venues that, you know, underground music is appreciated by all now. And it isn't just, you know, you know, 10 years ago, VIPs only loved commercial dance music. Now, the VIP crowd in Ibiza, good or bad, now they love underground music. So I think I think they're going to be fine. Of course, you had first-hand experience running a party in Ibiza, helping Richie Horton with Enter for four seasons. Was it four seasons? Yeah, five, yeah. Five. Yeah. What was it like being behind the scenes and, and doing a weekly show like that? Yeah, it was it was extremely intense. Um and someone like Richie, you know, does is involved in everything from beginning to end, you know, from planning to the end to the actual event from beginning to end. <clears throat> it was extremely intense. Um we thoroughly enjoyed it. It was an amazing moment, I think if um if Enter did one thing, it brought a whole world of new artists to Ibiza that weren't playing on the island. And I remember Rich approaching people like Recondite or Etap Kyle and some of these people and they were like, Well, we don't play in Ibiza, why would we want to play in Ibiza? And he went really out of his way to make sure that the event fostered 
really much more interesting, you know, alternative electronic music. People that most people on the island probably hadn't heard of. Um, and Recondite went through from playing in the mind room to playing in the main room. And so I think that was when, when, when we look back on it, that was a big part of what we contributed. But, you know, it was also an eye opener of, of seeing how, you know, I'd seen Ibiza more from the kind of journalistic side, if you like, <clears throat> the more privileged side, if you like, because people are always trying to be nice to you when you're a journalist. And actually, my God, the, this was like the other way around. This was like deep in the politics of of other clubs and parties, but also, you know, dealing with space and all of these kind of things. But it was, it, you know, we don't regret any of it. It was an incredible experience but it was a it was also a, a moment in time i think i think we i think we got in at the right time but we also got out at the right time um it's interesting you say that about bringing kind of deeper more underground artists to the island and i actually didn't go to as many enters as i would have liked i had a deadline on thursday night and i always had to you know i was always up late doing that uh, as i'm sure you'll uh, appreciate but yeah my i mean one of my problems when i was there was i was into kind of deepest for stuff and I'd always look forward to going to see DJs. Um, I remember Kerkuma was a big favourite, but you'd go there and there just wouldn't be the crowd there. Whereas at Enter, you could go and see, like you say, like a recondite to a massive discotheque full of people, and it was, you know, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think it was, um, you know, I, I just think conceptually we were trying to, as always, you know, with with what Rich does, is try to bring, try to inspire new people to love more challenging forms of electronic music and I, and I think because we had we were with the marketing and the whole concept we were able to bring in big numbers to that space people were really finding new DJs finding new live acts discovering new music every week and that was that, that was a a real thrill for us to see that you know why did it come to an end well, like I said I think it was a it was a moment in time and and I think you know Rich had many many other things that he as always wants to do and achieve and part of that at the time was developing the new close show which is what really has been the focus for the last three years you've only really seen it on stage for two years but it was quite some time in the planning and also he was creating model one the mixer the play differently brand the technology brand and the time that he needed to focus on that you know it wasn't possible to do everything one thing that anyone who's got an Ibiza residency will realise it's not those three months that you're celebrating the party every week. It's, you know, you literally begin the minute you end. You may take a few weeks off, like doing a festival as well. You're straight into, first of all, the politics of, of next year, where you're going to do it and who you're going to do it with and doing the deal and then curating the event and then the production, then the branding and then the promotion. Um, it's it becomes an all year round concern so i think it it just became too much of a distraction and as much as we all love and celebrate ibiza there's also a much bigger world out there and um and a world that we're you know we're always fascinated in and um and i think that's where it it comes back to ibiza's influence i think ibiza still has a big influence if you're an artist you know look at solomon's success that that has all come from ibiza no, no question. You know, I think I think Black Coffee you're about to see have a very similar kind of experience where Ibiza will enhance his reach to a global audience. And that's something that Ibiza still has that nowhere else on the planet has. Good, good and bad in some people's eyes. But um, if you're trying to project your career to a new level, I think Ibiza still holds great value. In terms of talking about the kind of next big region for dance music um you mentioned earlier that you started ims in asia ims asia pacific uh in 2014 it feels like a really interesting time for the region i know we just published a piece on the scene in east asia um, and the kind of underground scene there are key artists festivals um clubs coming through just kind of paint me a picture of where it's at a lot of what we've seen with ims asia pacific which began in singapore and has been in uh, china ever since there is there's a lot of good happening on a on a very mainstream level, um, but on the sort of underground side of things, it reminds me a little bit of the kind of EDM explosion in North America, but but without the 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 foundations of what Detroit, Chicago, and New York gave the American scene, because there is no foundation really in Asia. So when you use the expression top down, I mean that in the sense that all the commercial stuff is popping off everywhere and the underground stuff is is still challenging there's great things happening in certain markets and great new festivals emerging 
you know, the the Kazan Tip guys bringing that event this year to Vietnam. And great, great clubs, as the RA article really picked up on. But it's still a very, very mainstream market and it's going to take quite some time for the underground to live and breathe and, and be able to do its thing. Um, some of the underground stages at some of the big EDM festivals aren't working in some of the key markets. And some markets that were extremely strong for underground music like Japan are also having a bit of a tough, tough time as well. So it's a really complex market and um, we've tried with IMS to kind of help navigate people through that and, and like you did with the article. So there's this huge growth potential there, but I think it's it's a long, long way off from being kind of a critical part of any underground DJ's kind of, you know, percentage of their career, if you like, in terms of how much time they spend there. And uh, it needs nurturing, it needs developing, and obviously the artists who are willing to commit will benefit from that. There's just so many challenges there. There's challenges with social media, challenges with language, challenges with culture of, of how... Again, a lot of these clubs are being built in a very VIP way, which is a problem all over the world. And, you know, so I think DJs, the underground guys are now having to like avoid some of those venues to find the kind of places you talked about. So I'm, I'm positive for where it's going, but I'm, I'm realistic as well. But you see a kind of hunger and a thirst for the music in, in the people? I, I do, yeah. I mean, you have to you have to dig pretty pretty deep for it. You know, as you go into the deeper regions of China and places like that, I think it's harder. But, um, you know, I do think, you know, music education, you know, I think Point Blank are about to launch in Asia. And, you know, I think what what is there is this very young, interesting, creating electronic music. And we just got to get to these kids to make sure they make um, more interesting music than just following the derivative EDM path, you know. Do you think part of the problem is, you know, one of the problems has played electronic music since it began, just this association with drugs and excess and getting off your head? I think I think historically that was a, a big challenge in Asia and I think that was a big reason why it took so long for it to open up. But I don't really feel that there now. I think in, in the old days, you know, going to Singapore or places like that, I mean, you know, horror stories of things that happen to people who get caught with any form of possession, however small. But I think, no, I think I think the culture is being celebrated for music and, and I know with IMS in Asia, the, the media fascination around the industry is huge and... And you don't really get questions about the drug culture. Um, so, no, I think it's changed a lot in that regard in, in a positive way. Great. I just want to finish by asking you just about your kind of personal uh, listening habits. Because obviously you've, you know, you were a music fan first and foremost. You were um, yeah, 16-year-old intern at Melody Maker. Um, and yeah, 30 years later, you're involved, you've been involved in so many different aspects of the scene. But what, how do you enjoy music these days? You know, I still I went to Burkine the other night. I still like to be on the dance floor listening to as much new music as I can and finding new artists. And I've always been very eclectic. I was always interested in, you know, I came from a, I grew up on John Peel, um, listening to kind of alternative, always very um, melancholic indie music. And that kind of led me to electronic music and the more emotional electronic music sound. So I'm very much about, still very much about emotion in electronic music. That's the stuff that really moves me the most. So from Neil Sram to John Hopkins, that's probably the stuff I would probably choose to listen to the most. Um, but I'm quite broad as well. I, you know, I love, I love what Bicep and Benjamin Damage are doing with melody and emotion in electronic music. But I also love really stripped back, tough techno. Um, and then I'll listen to Anderson Pack. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really diverse. And you know, Spotify's done a, a, a great job for me at getting me back into listening to music and discovering music just through the technology of it and the simplicity of it. I think one of the things that happened to me that maybe I regret in a way is that I, when I became an editor, I, I launched music when I was 21. At that time I was spending 300 pounds a week, my wages on vinyl in record stores and buying Detroit, Chicago music and you know from all over the world to make sure that music was so on point with its music reviews I didn't want to just review what I got sent in the post in fact I used to was PR people used to hate me because whatever I posted I would just put to the bottom of the pile and I'd go record shopping and buy what I felt was really exciting and going to Fat Cat and things like that but when you become an editor when I at 23 suddenly I was called into business meetings and I was sucked into corporate stuff and really at a very young age I stopped buying music and, and it's taken me a long time to get back to that real discovery um, 
process and Spotify's actually done that for me in radio and Spotify. And um, so now I'm, 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 I feel like I'm absorbing new music more than ever, which is a great feeling.